Hi, I'm Hera, the mom. And I'm Estella, the kid. And this is Seeking Different. There are times when everyone feels different or left out. As a non-traditional mom and kid family, we're setting out to explore all the ways that families can be different. This is Seeking Different. Welcome back to Seeking Different. This week on the show, we're sitting down with somebody who I really wanted to introduce to Stella for a really long time. Today on our show, we have a special guest, Melissa Lindsay, who is the founder and executive director of the Donor Conceived Community, or DCC. And DCC provides peer support, education, and resources for people navigating donor conception and DNA discoveries. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit more about your organization? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks for asking. Well, I didn't mean to start a nonprofit. I was going through the discovery that I had when I was an adult that I was donor conceived. I didn't know that before. And when I was trying to find solutions or things to help me answer my questions, I couldn't really find the answers that I needed. And so I thought, well, I would like to meet some more people who are also going through this and help them and we can help each other. So I thought I would start some peer support groups. And I don't know if you know what peer support is, but it just basically means talking to other people that are in the same situation, which you're already kind of doing with your podcast. So we got together over Zoom and started talking about what it was like to be donor conceived and people were really thankful to be able to do that. And so I realized I wanted to keep doing that. And eventually those peer support groups became the easiest way to, to keep doing that work was to make a nonprofit organization. And that's how I started Donor Conceived Community. So the short answer is I saw a problem. And at first I wanted somebody else to fix the problem. And I really tried to find somebody else that was fixing the problem. And then I realized that I wanted to help solve that problem. So I love that. So I, I often tell people, be the change you want to see in the world. Because I think so many of us like kind of move through the world and we're like, oh, that's messed up or like that needs to be changed. And there's there's very few people who are like, wait a second, it needs to be changed and no one's changing it. So I'm just going to do it myself. So Stella, one of the reasons I always love talking to Melissa is that you are so passionate and you seem to just like emanate empathy when you speak about like the topic of donor conception. And so I'm curious to hear more about your personal journey. Like, did you always know you were donor conceived or is this something that you just learned as an adult? So some things have changed a lot in the past 40 to 50 years. So a, a long time ago, when people used a sperm or a sperm donor, um, that's all they had at first. They didn't even have egg donation at first. But when they used a sperm donor, the doctors and the nurses said, don't tell anybody that you did this. So one of the phrases for that you might have heard before is stigma and um, that it was a scary thing to talk about or a secret or something we really shouldn't talk about. And so that's why a lot of parents didn't tell their kids that they had them with the help of a sperm donor or eventually an egg donor. And then people started knowing, hey, it's probably not a good idea to keep a secret from a kid because of lots of reasons. Um, they'll find out probably. They yeah. used to have DNA testing and now they do. Um, and we also learned from adoption that it was not a good idea to wait till someone was 18. But the hard part is nobody's going back to the parents who 
went through donor conception in the older style. And even though parents might think I probably should tell, they didn't really have any resources for that. So I think my parents fell into that category. I had no idea. Um, Probably something that you can relate to is that using a donor meant talking to certain people and bouncing ideas off of some close friends. And I think my parents did that. And so that's probably how the secret came out that it was a a friend just talked to us about it, thinking that we already knew. And that's how I first found out. Um, And I was 39 when I found out for the first time. And so then I had a year or so of trying to figure out, do I want to know who the donor is? Mm. And do I want to know how many siblings I might have? And what does this mean? And what does it not mean? What things stay the same and don't change? And what things am I curious about? And I spent some time thinking through all that before, before I eventually did find out who, so I use the term biological father. That's what I use to describe the person um, that donated sperm to my parents. So um, I eventually did find him. So, yeah. I often wonder how donor conceived people refer to the donor. And I don't know if there's like a standard that people are comfortable with. I know Stella, you've said you hate the word dibbling because she, what did you, what did you say it sounded like? Um, it sounded, <clears throat> it sounded like m- mouse poop. <laughs> yes. So I try to make sure that I'd never call the donor siblings dibblings because I now cannot get that out of my head. So <laughs> I'm wondering if there is a, if, if there is a overwhelming term that, that people use, or is it just like different for everyone? So from what I've seen and heard, first of all, there is a wide variety and there's no one right or wrong answer. So the thing that you just shared right there, where you talk to her about what phrase she likes or doesn't like and why, and then you've changed your language or try to steer around phrases that are gross or (laughs) make you think of mouse droppings um, is, is perfect. And that might change over time. It might stay the same. We, um, what I have learned is that it's really important to talk to the person who has the experience of being made this way because it is probably most personal to them. If they have any feelings about it at all, they should get to decide what they want to call these people in their lives. And also it can change over time. So the Mm -hmm. first phrase that I used was donor, my donor or the sperm donor, because that was the only thing I saw in any Google search. But it also made me feel a little strange because he didn't donate sperm to me. And so I thought, mm-hmm. and, I, and I also, um, because I was thinking about it in terms of who am I genetically related to, biological father seemed like a really natural thing to me because I was already familiar with um, adoption and people looking for genetic family members or trying to find their their ancestry. So to me, it just seemed very similar to the world of adoption where you would say, I have a biological sister out there, or I have a biological mother out there. So that to me didn't seem to replace my dad. They felt very different. My dad is my dad. And then I have a biological father who's a stranger to me and I don't know. Mm. And that was a comfortable term for me. There are other donor conceived people who don't want to use the term father in the mix. Like they don't want to say that word combined with the person. So they don't. And they could say, so some common ones are 
the donor, my parents' donor, my mom's donor, uh, my dad's donor, or biological father, bio dad, bonus dad, (laughs) genetic dad. There's, and I think people kind of make their own language for it. Some people have like funny little nicknames for the donor that they make up. Some people genetic contributor. (laughs) There's all kinds of phrases that I hear, but I, I do think that biological father is pretty common in the space of donor conceived people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably reassuring for a lot of parents to hear that that is separate from the way they think about the people who are raising them in their everyday life and Mm -hmm. parents, like who they think of as mom or dad or moms or dads. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about that, Stella? Like whether you would prefer biological father or donor? No. (laughs) She's like, no. And and there are lots of people who just don't even really think about it much. And then maybe someday later on, they think about it and have a different feeling about it. I started using the phrase bio dad because it's short. (laughs) So it's just very practical. But I don't say that to everybody because first I want to make sure that they know that's different than my dad, who is the one I will think of as dad, but not everybody has a dad. That's one of the things I think is really helpful. Not everybody has a mom. Not everybody has a dad. Everybody has a biological father and a biological mother in the genetic sense, but that doesn't mean you have that person in your life. You could have two moms no dad and still have a biological father. And that all still can go together. One doesn't rule the other out. So I think it's up to the person they should get I, to decide. I often wonder if the use of donor, because I always say donor, it's just how I've said it, just because I like to separate the concept of like parent from from like a tissue donation. Uh, but I often wonder if it like sounds too clinical for people like, you know, because when you say donor, it sounds like, oh, I'm donating an organ or I'm donating tissue, which is like a medical term. Right. Uh, and so it's interesting that you didn't find out about having a donor until you were an adult. I can't even remember when I learned I had a donor. We'll be right back after a quick break. The heart behind the I'm Mom podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com and when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. I am so glad to hear that, that you can't remember a time you didn't know. That's, that is great because then you probably were never really surprised, right? Did finding out about being a donor conceived change or impact how you feel about your identity? In some ways it did. I think sometimes as a kid, you think that when you're a grown up, you'll just know exactly who you are and nothing will change once you get to be a grown up. Is that how you picture kind of being a grown up? Yeah. Like you'll know <laughs> like like what I'll you want to do. I'll know everything. 
<laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Dirty little I secret. You're not going to know everything. Wait a minute, but like, I think that when you were growing up, you know everything because you already learned a bunch of stuff when you were a kid. Right. That's what I thought too, when I was a kid. And so, and then there are some things that you think, oh, this will stay the same my whole life. And so that one of the things I thought would stay the same is who I was related to. So I was very surprised when I found out that, that my dad wasn't my biological father. And there were some, some things that were just part of how I thought of myself that changed. So an example would be my dad was half Sicilian. Do you know where Sicily is? I think you've been to Italy, right? Yeah, it's, it's my favorite place. I love Italy too. And I love talking about Italy. Sicily is a little island off the coast of Italy. And people who are from there are very, very proud. They will even say, I'm not from Italy. I'm from Sicily. And so they are very proud of being from there. And my dad's whole side of the family was very proud of being from there on my grandma's side. So there were recipes that were from there that were handed down. There were stories of things that had happened in the family. My uncle was a crab fisherman in in San Francisco. So they all came from from Sicily to San Francisco. So there were stories and they were kind of like legends that were passed down. And so I was very proud of being connected to those stories. And it came out in little ways, like when I was younger, well, not a lot of people wore sunscreen in the 80s and 90s, but I wore even less because my mom was like, you're half Sicilian, so you don't need very oh. much sunscreen. <laughs> oh, no. And she knew she was lying. <laughs> and um, and so I had these little stories that were part of who I was. And when I went to Europe and some of my favorite places to go, I was thinking about my even ancestors I've never met are from here. Mm-hmm. and so. I also thought that I got my dimple from my dad. I thought I had his eye color. And since I have three boys, a lot of the things that my kids like to do or were interested in, I was thinking they've never met my dad because he died when I was a teenager, but he still is kind of in them because Mm. of the genes that were handed down. So that maybe certain things that they liked or didn't like came from him. And that kind of helped me feel a little bit like I still missed him a lot, but I could find those connections that I would think were extra special. So when I found that out, I was really confused because suddenly I didn't know where half of me came from. And then I was thinking, well, wait, which features, where did that come from then if it didn't come from my mom? Or is it just something that I do or I like, but who am I related to? The stories that I was connected to, I was connected in a different way than I thought. So that was a little bit confusing for me. And then the other part is for health reasons, you learn sometimes about family things to learn what things you might have a risk for. And there were some things that I thought I had a risk for. And suddenly I didn't know if I did, I didn't know which things might be, you know, affecting the biology of how I was made. So I was very curious about that. I, it's interesting. I, I think a lot about, you know, the like genetics, but then also culture culture, because, um, I think sometimes people assume that, you know, a certain race or culture or a race or genetics like means that you have a cultural connection to something. And that's, 
not true or the case because you are the culture that you're raised in, right? So you have Sicilian culture. Like even if you aren't a drop of that, that's still like the culture that you have. And that's part of, I feel like our culture is part of our identity, right? I thought I was connected by stories to one part, but then it was just funny to find out I'm Irish after all. That's where the freckles yeah, came from. Like that's my mom would say, where'd you get these freckles? You know, cause my dad didn't have any and neither did my mom. Side note, I just found out yesterday that people actually tattoo freckles on them. I am very freckled because I am also very Irish. And I'm like, I will donate my freckles. <laughs> to it's so funny anybody. how people who have them don't want them. And then there are people getting freckle yeah. tattoos. I, could, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, people actually do this on purpose. Yeah, they have stencils for makeup where you can put Oh, that's so crazy. Um, Yeah, you can add some freckles. You don't need them because just I don't know. It's crazy. Like almost like putting like an eyeliner pencil in. Does he take a marker? Uh, It's not a marker. It's like. No, it's like, you know, have you ever seen an eyeliner pencil or an eyebrow pencil? It's like that, I think. Now. I haven't tried this, so I really don't know, but why would anybody ever want to add freckles? I don't know. It's it's just people do things that are people never want what they have and people always right. want it's them. people straighten their curly hair and curl their yeah. straight hair and yeah. So all right. So in the single mother by choice community, I have seen a lot of fear about interacting with adult DCP communities. Mm-hmm. I think there is a concern that there will be like anger and that the anger like kind of scares the hell out of these people. And I think it's, especially if this is the path they've sort of already chosen. So I'm wondering, like, what would you tell a parent who's either planning to use donor sperm or donor eggs to create their family, or perhaps already has, about how to connect or how to think about connecting um, to better understand the perspectives of adult DCPs? Oh, that's such a good question. (laughs) So... One of the things I think really helps is listening in spaces where people bring their whole self, which is often not social media. Sometimes it's easy for people to interact in social media behind a handle or a phrase, and they only get to see a little glimpse of the person that they're talking to. And a lot of donor-conceived people are really going through a lot of big emotions of shock or betrayal or confusion because they didn't know these things that were happening. The other part is if a person finds out that their donor conceived or always knew and they don't have any feelings about it, they're probably not talking about it in social media spaces. So you're you're going to find the ones who have a passion for it. I, I would say not necessarily always angry because a lot of people just want to educate. So thinking carefully about the space that you're in, is this a place where learning is likely to happen or is it a place for people to vent? And then when the primary reason for people to be there is fear, I just think a lot of hard things, hard conversations happen. And that is in both directions. There's a lot of, there's some parents who say some things they would probably never say to their child, to an adult donor conceived person. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then Donor can see people who say things that it doesn't bring in the full picture of what they're going through or what that parent's going through in these little sound bites that happen in social media. So there's a lot of good learning that happens in Facebook groups, but I also think it can be challenging when you're reading a thousand people's opinions on something. I think sometimes parents step into it and perhaps unwittingly. I often tell people when they're coming into SMC spaces, especially if they haven't quite decided if they want to be, to first just 
kind of read the room, uh, listen before you say anything and maybe do some learning before you say anything. Cause I think sometimes when people jump right in, you know, we hear the things that can be very, I don't know if it's like stereotypical or discriminatory of like some, like of a lifestyle we've chosen. So it's like, okay, with your questions, don't come with that before you have tried to understand the space. So I think it could be also true for, especially true for a space where there could be a lot of people or some people who are deeply wounded by their story and your perhaps ignorance of the topic could also be highly triggering. (laughs) I think too, it's, it's also hard because a lot of parents, you know, you first start off in parenting and you think this is how I'm going to do everything. And if I do all these things, this is how it's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And then you have kids and realize they're entire human beings with their own thoughts and feelings and preferences and personalities. (laughs) Like if, if, if there's a food you don't like, probably your mom telling you that it's healthy. You might still have a few bites, but it doesn't make it your favorite food just because she said it's healthy. Like like broccoli, right? Stella still hates broccoli. <laughs> I keep trying to put stuff on it. Like, <laughs> like broccoli with cheese on it. Other broccoli. You like cheese with broccoli. Let's just be honest. Like, <laughs> I take a little broccoli with that cheese. <laughs> cheese fixes everything. What's your favorite vegetable? Asparagus. Ooh. Yeah, she's she's a lover of asparagus, which is also delicious, but I think broccoli is also delicious. So hey. I know. Let's talk about 23andMe real quick and <laughs> Ancestry. So I'm curious if you think that a donor-conceived person is more likely to do it or less, or or like what do you, how do you think it would stack up about up like with the general population? Hmm. So I think if they know their donor conceived, my guess is they're more likely to take a 23andMe test at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean that everybody will. Mm -hmm. So do you think, um, what about people who find out as adults? Do you think that it's, are they more hesitant to take it? Do you think on average, or are they like kind of even more curious? So I would... I don't mean to be tricky, but I think the answer is both because I think they're more afraid of what they might find as Uh, an adult when you don't know what's about to happen. Am I going to get 17 siblings, Mm -hmm. one sibling, no siblings? And it's even hard to figure out which one you're hoping for. Yeah, that makes sense. And so there's all this curiosity and fear mixed in at the same time. Or I maybe not, maybe for some people, it wouldn't be as strong of a word as fear, but this curiosity, like, what am I going to find here? And I actually, some people turn off the matching part of it. So they just want the health piece, but they turn off the matching. So that's one way to get through that is if you want to look at information, but you don't want to be connected to anybody else Mm -hmm. that turned off and on. If somebody wants to look purely because of health information, I think 23andMe isn't always the best option for that because it isn't truly a medical DNA test, a medical grade, but still a lot of people take it for that reason. That's what they know about. So they think, I don't have my family medical history. I better take this test. 
So it's a lot of like, there's a lot of mixed opinions in the SMC community about whether or not parents should do it for their kids or they should Mm -hmm. wait. Mm -hmm. I did it for mine because I also was interested in the health stuff. I, you know, I know that the, the donors do disclose certain things, but I also felt like there's things that they wouldn't necessarily know. And I think also a lot of times people might think that they're one thing they'll be like, Oh, I'm a hundred percent Irish. I realize, Oh, I'm not a hundred percent Irish. And so I just kind of wanted my kids to be able to know their makeup. I did turn off the uh, notification piece because, you know, a, I don't want to blow up his spot. Uh, And I also want my kids to be able to choose that part. Like if they want to turn it on when they're 18, then they can knock themselves out. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about kids now. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about kids. So usually people ask me where my dad is. And when I tell them that I don't have one, they keep on asking more. And then it gets into a really awkward conversation, but also But also, I appreciate it if they just say, okay, and walk away. Or I also, but I also um, appreciate it if they say, like, um, I'm sorry that I asked you. um, Or, like, I'm sorry that I assumed that you did have one. Mm -hmm. Um, So how have you dealt with the topic of donors and dads when it comes up? So I, I know that we have some things that are similar in our experience and some things that are different in our experience. So I don't want to tell you how you should feel about it. So I'll, I remember people asking about my dad after my dad died, they would ask, where are your parents? Like I, they assumed I had two or where's your dad and, or what does your dad do for work or something like that? And so one of the ways I handled that was to think, how well do I know this person? So I have different kinds of answers that I give depending on how long I want to talk to the person, how much I trust the person, how well I know the person. If it's really quick, then I would say, you know, I don't have a dad. And then I would change the subject and think of like another question to ask them instead. But if the person's asking me because they want to know something that isn't just being nosy. It's that they're asking something that they, information that would be helpful for something that we're doing, or if it's a doctor or someone that I, I know, and they're just being curious, then sometimes I'll ask a question back to them. So that would be like, oh, why do you want to (laughs) know? Or what would, what kind of answer are you looking for? So Sometimes I just answer it differently depending on who it is. Do people even talk about this sort of thing as adults? Yes, they do. How often does the topic of how awkward it was as a child for those people who know they have a donor, who knew they had a donor, how often does the awkwardness of that topic in like childhood conversations come up in adult conversations, like in the in the group? So they will talk about... It, some of it has depended a little bit on the the way their family is set up. So sometimes if the person has a mom or a dad, they didn't talk about it as much because they didn't have to talk about it as much. So mm-hmm. they, they, 
it's more common if somebody has two parents of the same sex or if a single parent to talk about it. And sometimes their frustration is school projects. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to do this for Mother's Day or Father's Day or invite your grandparents to this, like doing a family tree. You have to say who's in your family or or in sharing things in class, like everybody who has a mom who does this, raise your hand or a dad who does this, raise your hand. And that would be frustrating for them. It also depends on where someone lives. If they lived in a city or a state where there was a lot of variety or, Mm. or okay with same-sex parents, then Mm. that didn't come up as much. It's like, the, it's like the, the woke meter. It's like, <laughs> how woke is your city? Mm-hmm. Uh, are people going to be like, what's a donor? I've never heard of that before. Are they going to be like, yeah. Oh, okay. Like my neighbor has a donor. <laughs> like, yeah. And even in some, so a lot of some kids who have talked about their parents were um, single moms and everyone just assumed how the mom became pregnant with them, with the baby. Mm-hmm. And they didn't ask questions, but they still decided that they thought they had figured out how that had happened. So nobody asked or talked about it. I just assumed she got knocked up at a bar, <laughs> like, which is like probably, I don't know, like no judgment. Right. But like, right. I mean, I it, it was, someone just asked me <laughs> and it kind of made it like, oh, we're not allowed to talk about it. That stigma yeah. again. Right. But like, oh, let's not talk about it. I think the other place that it comes up a lot is at different points in so, you know, you start learning about biology and learning how people are made and how they're, what happens with a sperm and an egg and an embryo and mm-hmm. you know a baby. And so once people start learning about the ingredients of what makes a baby and how humans are made, then there can be this obvious, well, this had to come from somewhere. So sometimes that's the easiest, quickest answer is to be like, oh, I don't have a dad, but my, my mom got sperm from a donor and that's all they were. That's all the person asking was trying to figure out is where did the other half of your genetics come from? Because they learned in some class or they learned somehow that it takes these two things and they, you know, they want to, but it doesn't mean it's their business to know. So it can, Mommy has told me that there are some things that DCPs have been trying to change about the donor industry to make improvements. What are some things you'd like to change about the industry? Oh, I love this question. You know, we have all this technology now to do these amazing things to help people have families, and they just didn't make the laws at the same time they were making all this new technology. So in my opinion, it's just getting the laws to catch up to the technology. So now they can use a donation from a donor that used to only make a few kids or help a few moms have children, but they can now with the technology, take that uh, same amount of sperm and use it to make a lot of different kids and freeze it for a long, long time to use it for a long time. So one of the laws that we would like to see passed is to have a limit on the number of kids or the number of siblings that would come from the donor. So that one, we would say, okay, 10 families or 20 families are allowed to have families with the same donor. So still they could have brothers and sisters that are from the same donor, but it's not going to be an unlimited amount because there isn't a law right now 
So the clinic or the agency or the doctor gets to decide how many times they want to use that donor. And we think that's really complicated later on, because if you have 50 half siblings and you might want to know who they are, that will be really hard Mm -hmm. to know who they are. I think another thing that complicates it is imagine you're living in a town where maybe this is one of those woke towns, right? (laughs) Where like, you know, a town that's a little bit more liberal where people have all different types of families. Like you remember how in your first school last year, like everybody had a dad and a mom and like people were all weird about donors because it was very, it was kind of like a conservative bubble. So in a town or a place that is more liberal leaning and people are creating their families in all sorts of ways, you might have more people using donors. And imagine you're in a town and you find out you have like a hundred half siblings that live in your town, right? Okay, that would probably be like perhaps rare. But I think the challenge there is that what if you are a grown person and you start dating people and you do not realize that you are dating somebody whose parents may or may not have told them that they were donor conceived. And then you realize that this person is your half brother at some point, which would like gross you out a little bit. Right. Cause you're like, wait a second. Like I now I'm related to you and this is crazy. Now, if it's, if you limit the number of, of children who can be conceived from a single person or a single, you know, donor that limits that. And also, as Melissa said, makes it easier for you to actually find all of your half siblings and have perhaps a closer relationship when you, than you would with like, you know, a hundred, you can't, you can't be close to like a hundred people at all. <laughs> it's a, it'd be, it's a lot of work to plan get togethers with that many people. And not everyone wants to talk to their half siblings. That's okay if they do or they don't, but we had someone, for example, join a group who took a test they were a grown up already they had kids and they had a 17 year old who was in high school with some cousins but they didn't know they were cousins oh wow both parents were donor conceived but neither but this person didn't know they were and so then now there's the cousins mm. are all you know they could be in school together and this person also has a half sibling living down the street from them and they never knew that they were half siblings. So that's where it's better if there's a limit because a long time ago when, well, I wish I could say a long time ago, not long enough. (laughs) There are donors who donate a couple of times a week for years. And so that's just going to be a lot of children. Another law that we would like to see passed is that everybody uses the same guidelines for deciding um, who would be eligible to be a donor and that the guidelines are fair. So um, right now, someone who, um, a man who is a gay man would not be able to donate sperm. And that doesn't seem very fair unless they were like a known friend of somebody and it was like an, what we call a known donor. And then another strange thing is that a doctor right now or a healthcare provider could, like a parent could pick out, here's the donor that I want to use. I read through the book. This is who I picked. I chose this person. Then they could go to the doctor and the doctor could just decide to use different sperm and not tell anybody. And that would not be illegal. That seems- That's crazy. 
really good is that? Mm-hmm. So they can swap out your sample that you paid for and there are no legal consequences. So for t- it's called fertility fraud. It's only illegal in 11 states right now. Wow. And most of the fertility fraud the uh bills come from the doctor using their own sperm without telling which is just disgusting. I've yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. my gosh. And is- so um Eve Wiley has she's another person who saw a problem, experienced a problem, saw a problem and now has made it her mission to bring this fertility fraud legislation through so that it could protect parents who want to use donor conception because wow. people yeah. assume it's illegal and there is no law. They just never made one. And most people think it already exists. So that's nuts. Mm-hmm. That is so nuts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the most challenging things I've come to realize about parenting uh, is that your child does not automatically identify with the world as you do. I know this sounds like something that like everybody should know, but uh, I don't know. This is, this was, this has been a evolving thing for me. So this is something that I had considered from a race perspective, because within the black community, particularly as a biracial black woman, you can't, I knew that you couldn't control how, how your child's features like turned out. Right. Cause even if you choose like a black donor or biracial toner, like you just get what you get. Right. But what I didn't consider enough prior, prior, uh, though I don't think it would have changed my mind, uh, is how being a DCP might impact my child's identity. And so what I'm wondering is what advice as a donor conceived person would you give parents or prospective parents um, on raising donor conceived children with that in mind? Specific, specifically with the ethnicity piece in mind or just no, with just yeah. identity piece. Like, so I, I guess my point was like, I, I had already considered that as much as I am like blackity black, black with my identity, like I knew that my kids experience was just going to be how they felt the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think the aspect of identity that I perhaps did not consider enough previous to having children uh, and have now just come to sort of started thinking about it more as my kids have gotten older is just how being donor conceived would impact their identity. And so I guess I would just wonder like, what advice would you give parents with regards to just sort of like navigating that and, you know, just all the things like, you know, how to affirm them, how to, how to affirm their feelings and like, you know, just the things that you might encounter as a parent uh, trying to kind of navigate this, this piece of your child's identity. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey parents! Yeah, you! Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. So I feel like I probably say this too much, but it's where I would start with this always is embracing the curiosity because I think that's true for parenting in general, that you have this person and you, you don't know which parts of who you are and what you're interested in and your experiences, they're, 
you don't know how that's going to show up in their lives and it may not at all, or it might to a very high degree. And so even in your own kids, when you have more than one child, you get to see this, like they are not always similar. (laughs) And, um, and so approaching it with like, who is this person that I get to parent and I'm going to stay curious about who they are. And then I'm going to encourage them to be curious about who they are so that they can have a strong sense of self. Like I know who I am. And even when it's changing, I know I'm allowed to pursue what I want to pursue and love what I love and um, learn what I want to learn about. And so almost in that support role of supporting their curiosity to see who they become. And I think with donor conception, there is an element of I have to be careful with this analogy because I don't want to be dehumanizing in any way. But if I had this little plant and I was like, who are you? What are you? How should I take care of you? I would look for early signs of like, how is it growing and what is it doing so that I could learn how to let that plant become what it was supposed to become. Like, is it a sunflower? Is it, you know, what is it? And so I would stay curious about who this person is. And then We really want our kids to grow up to take good care of themselves and to embrace who they are. So if we're learning right along with them and then equipping them with that information, Mm -hmm. that shows up in little ways like here's how I learn best. Here's how I process my emotions best. Here's how I recharge. Here's what I enjoy, what I'm passionate about. And so I love the idea of you're like, partners in that. And you're just kind of clearing the way a little bit ahead of them to help them know what tools and resources are out there. And you're also observing like what works for them and what doesn't. And our own identity can kind of take the backseat a little bit because we're looking to see who are they turning out to be. And, And I think the important part of that with donor conception is just being acknowledging. You don't fully know how this other person and the genetics of this other person is going to show up in your child. And so just being open to it, that they could be a lot like them. They could be nothing like them. They could be like this person's great aunt or great uncle or sibling and it's okay. It's none of it minimizes the role that you have in their life and not being afraid of if those other characteristics show up, that it's just part of the curiosity. Yeah, no, I, I, I often look at my kids and just the other day I told my youngest, I'm like, you have donor lips. (laughs) I love them because I obviously chose them (laughs) because I chose the donor, but uh, they're definitely not my lips, but they're adorable. And not, and not being afraid to say that because then it lets them know that it's okay to acknowledge Yeah. Those things too. And, and it, you know, there's, there are people who have joined our groups who find out that they're donor conceived as adults and then find out they have the exact same major as a half sibling and as a biological parent that, that seemed very obscure. Like they didn't know anyone else interested in that. And here their half sibling is interested in it too. So But that doesn't always happen. It's just one of Mm -hmm. possibilities, you know? So, yeah, I often kick myself for choosing somebody who was in law school because my kids are constantly debating and like, (laughs) it's like a good quality in them. But at the same time, I'm just like, no, this is not up for debate. I am not 
on the witness stand here. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Any parting advice for kids? My parting advice for kids would be to love who you are. And if that means that you have questions about who you are, it's okay to ask. And it's okay to be different than the people around you. And and be curious so that you can learn about how wonderful you are. Okay. And be brave enough to tell me if you think that I am saying something horrible like dibbling and you never want to hear that word again. And yeah, you know, I think okay. that is so brave that you, <laughs> I think it's so, such a good sign that you felt comfortable telling your mom you didn't like the word and such a good sign that your mom said, okay, then we don't have to use that word. Some donor conceived people like the word because they think it sounds really cute. Other mm-hmm. donor conceived people cannot stand the word because they think it makes it sound like a pet instead of a person. Yeah. And so I just say, you know, I don't use the word my, myself. Stella, I should tell you, I just found out in December that I have a brother. I didn't even know my whole life. But the donor donated another time, my biological father, and he took a 23andMe test. So I just found a new brother in December. You just found out in December? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I've never had a brother before because I have two sisters. So wow, so this yeah. is like new territory. Hmm? <laughs> and so it's been really fun getting to know him. Okay. Stella has another very important question. Yes. Every time we have a guest, we ask them to describe themselves as their favorite drink. So how do you describe yourself as a drink? I remember you doing this and I should have planned because (laughs) even when I've heard other people describe it, I have thought, I don't know how I would answer that. Well, this is my favorite question. It is your favorite question? She loves Um, it. Does your answer change or do you give the same one every time? Shirley Temple. She's always a Shirley Temple. Okay. That's what I've heard. Accurately describes her though, because it's like, she's just bubbly and sweet and also like not for everyone. (laughs) When when I used to get report cards and I had a good report card, guess what special drink I would get when we went out to dinner? A Shirley Temple. I used to. I mean, they're pretty delicious. Her sister doesn't like them though. She always orders them because she thinks they look cool and then doesn't drink them. Drink them. Right now I'm kind of into bubbly lemonade. So I like, and I just made this because I'm growing some herbs. So it's a basil blueberry lemonade, but with like a little bubbly in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little, a lot of different things happening at the same time that probably feels like it fits. That's awesome. But also the reason I chose Sherry Temple um, I, now I like being Shirley Temple because I feel like if you're a drink, then you can always have the same drink that you are. <laughs> this is basically her way of being like, well, I have so to order like, a Shirley Temple because I'm a Shirley Temple. <laughs> yeah. So well, I can always have a Shirley Temple because I can pour some out of me and then I can make some more in me. It's that you have the infinite Shirley Temple supply. Yes. And also back to the attorney and her creating her own logic. I love it. (laughs) Amazing. All right. So before we wrap, can you tell our listeners how they would get in touch with the organization? Sure. So we have a website. It's www.donorconceivedcommunity.org. 
My email address is melissa at dccsupport.org. Um, and we're also on Instagram. We're not really active much on Twitter, but our Instagram handle is DCC support. And we're, we have a Facebook page. I'm happy to meet with parents um, to talk more about, you know, the, the concerns that they have. And then we have peer support groups for donor conceived people. Someday, Stella, I would love to have groups for kids or for kids and parents together. So that's a goal for me for someday. So if I ever have that, I will be sure to tell you. We will be the first people to sign up. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us, Melissa. It was really nice to virtually meet you. And thanks everyone for listening to our show this week. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I loved it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Seeking Different. If you like what you heard, share us with your family and friends. Tell us what you'd like to hear on future episodes and share your stories about belonging and family. You can connect with us on Instagram at Seeking Different. See you next time.